Welcome to the Share the Story podcast. You're listening to chapter nine, and today's a really great episode because I've got a really uh, good friend of mine on the show today. He has been a mentor of mine, both professionally as well as um, as uh, personally, and uh, has been. He's one of those people that combines the three things that we kind of get to talking about very briefly in this podcast talent opportunity and passion you know it's really interesting when you find somebody who has a whole lot of talent but no real passion you know to to go after something like i know a couple of people who uh, are amazing singers but they don't have the passion to be to be you know great at at uh singing or music or anything like that but they've got all the talent in the world right and then you see those people who have all the opportunity that people wish that they could have you know They've got the parents who have uh, have all the the financial backing or they've got the the uh, support system that so many people don't have, you know, but they don't have the uh, the talent or the passion to do anything with that. And they just sit on top of all of that, that wealth of that wealth of opportunity. And then you see the people with all the passion in the world, you know, but uh, it's it, those people are funny when they have all the passion in the world, but absolutely no talent. Um i.e. the American Idol uh, auditions at the very beginning, right? The people who have all the passion in the world, but nobody's told them you actually are not very good at, at, at this whole singing thing. Maybe you should find something else, right? Uh, and so this guy, Westbury, he's uh, kind of a combination of all three and in a lot of ways has done for other people um, what they have had a hard time doing for themselves, right? Recognizing the fact that some that someone has talent giving them the platform and opportunity to express that and fostering passion right because working with youth and college students and things like that could can sometimes be uh you you see that they have a lot of zeal but a whole uh, not a whole lot of uh restraint so it's uh so it's a really great conversation that i get to have with somebody who exhibits uh all three of those and tries his best to um to provide uh, to provide fostering and learning for each of those things with other people. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to chapter three of the, sh- or I'm sorry, chapter nine of the Share the Story podcast. It's called Talent, Opportunity, and Passion. I'm Michael Baylor. We'll catch you on the other side. High country area, right, as they would call it. Correct. Yeah. And grew up there, right? I did for the most part. Um, my father was a pastor growing up, and so... Uh, here for the first six months, uh, and then we moved to the metropolis of White Bull, North Carolina, uh, okay. down in the eastern portion of the state. Uh, was there for a few years. Um, later on, up to um, a little town in West Virginia called Glenville mm-hmm. for a while. Uh, back to White Bull for a bit, and then back to Watauga County, um, where I was here from sixth grade through high school. Uh, moved a little bit myself um, after high school, and then came back, finished at Appalachian State, and I have called it home ever since. Yeah. A lot of kids kind of aspire to kind of follow after what their what their dad's interested in, what they do. Was that ever something that you uh, what your outlook was? You know, um, yes. And I didn't really figure that out until late teens. Um, <laughs> so my brothers and sisters are all uh, dramatically older than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so my brother's 11 and a half years older than I. I have two sisters that are 18 and 20 years older than I. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, by the time uh, my oldest brother left home. Um, man, I went to church with my parents for everything. So business meetings, deacons mm-hmm. meetings, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. 
Um, I didn't realize until my late teens how much of that I, I had absorbed. Um, and so um, later in the teens, early 20s, absolutely, it was an aspiration uh, uh, to be in ministry and to uh, one day pastor like him. Yeah. Was that tough, though, as like a kid? Because, I mean, you were kind of not all over the East Coast, but uh, all over North Carolina and then a little bit in West Virginia, like you said. Was that tough um, uh, at the same time? Because you said that didn't really develop to late teens, 20s. Was there a part of a part of you that wanted to kind of push back against that? Because, I mean, that kind of uprooted you a, a number of times throughout your childhood. Um, absolutely. You know, the the tough part was twofold. One, um, a lot of the churches that my father was sent to were small in nature. Uh, attendance had had um, gotten low um, and he was there to kind of help build that up and, and help bring a foundation back to the church. Um, and so a lot of times these churches, not only was it a move, um, there was few and far between when it comes to kids and youth. Right. Um, and so um, number one was the challenge of uh, kind of constantly being around adults. Um, challenge number two was um, as the preacher's kid, uh, there was always kind of a set expectation for you. <laughs> and mm-hmm, that, got, that mm-hmm. got old a little bit. You know, sometimes you just want to be a kid. You want to be able to goof off and, um, and, you know, be like your friends a little bit. Um, and then, you know, there was always the expectation that it was, uh, you know, it was Youth Sunday or something like that. You were the person supposed to speak, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, so absolutely, growing up, um, there was some challenges with all that. Um, the great thing about my mother and father was um, – they didn't necessarily push me into those roles. They let them develop. Mm. Um, and so I didn't get that, that kind of pressure from home um, though. I did get it peer to peer and sometimes from people within the church. Mm. Yeah. And then how would that have translated, you know, to, to you as like in school? Sure. Um, you know, at school being the youngest of four, like I was um, and then constantly kind of being thrust into uh, even at a young age, what you would consider leadership style positions at church um, or, you know, just the the art of making friends. Um, mm-hmm. And so within the classroom, within school, um, number one, I learned I learned how to make friends with anybody. Um, but number two, um, you know, I've never been afraid of uh, speaking in front of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never been afraid of um, of being the one to assume the risk or take charge. Um, and a great deal of that came from my childhood. Um, it mm-hmm. was either uh, it was either uh, get in and get in fast or, um, you know, be lonely. And, and I didn't like being lonely. And so right. um, when we moved to a new school or to a new area, um, I tried to assimilate quickly. And, yeah. uh, and, and to be honest, later in life, it's become a great asset. Right, 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 right. So it, because there's a number of people that I that I um, have become friends with and stuff like that, whose parents moved around a lot. And it kind of was they don't view it as a, excuse me, as a benefit. Um, Now maybe they just haven't lived enough life to really kind of see it uh, as a benefit, but they don't really view it at at this juncture of their life as a benefit. And it sounds like there's a part of you or a great part of you that, that sees it as such. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Michael, um, when I was in seventh grade, my father, um, he shared something with me that really probably changed my life. Um, I, I had some friends that were, uh, goofing off a bit and getting in trouble and uh, um, nothing out of, uh, you know, probably really out of that context. I mean, it was, you know, teenagers being teenagers. Um, but um, one particular um, event that occurred, um, you know, it really displeased my father. And uh, and he, he he brought me home one day after basketball practice and he set me down on the couch and he said, Wes, he said, um, you know, the greatest 
disrespect you can give me um, is for you uh, to one day grow up and not be able to offer more to your children than you've had yourself. Mm. And uh, my dad grew up, um, you know, here in Wittagong County. Uh, he's, he'll be 80 this year. Um, and so he, he grew up here a long time ago um, when there wasn't the opportunities that are here now. And uh, a family, a large family um, that survived off what they could grow and can and eat and uh, things like, or excuse me, grow out of their own garden and can and eat and stuff like that. Um, he didn't have a lot. They didn't have a lot. And, and he told me a story of how when he was a teenager, um, the, uh, the jeans that he wore, the, the, the blue jeans that he wore, they had wore holes in it. Um, and his parents didn't have money to buy new ones. And so his mom took burlap sacks, um, cut them up and patched the holes of his jeans using those burlap sacks. And the kids at school made fun of him for it. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, you know, when he got to be uh, the age of an adult, he worked really hard uh, to ensure that me and my brothers and sisters wouldn't wouldn't ensue that kind of ridicule. Ridicule. Mm -hmm. And so my dad was always um, bivocational, both pastor and, and working somewhere. And when he pulled me aside in seventh grade, he told me, he said, he said, Wes, they're presenting you with an opportunity and I'm presenting you with an opportunity. Um, their opportunity is going to lead you to less than in life. My opportunity is going to lead you to great to greater things in life. He said, I want you to buckle down and work hard and stay out of trouble because I want you to have the opportunity one day to give your kids more than I've even given you. Mm. Uh, and it was a really great talk, Michael, because it reminded me. Um, that my dad wasn't just a pastor, uh, but he was a father. Um, but he also was a hardworking man with a great work ethic. And uh, he installed those things in me. And so growing up, I had such a really balanced home life um, that um, even with the moves and the transitions, um, I saw them as opportunities. Uh, mm -hmm. and it's something that um, a process that's carried out through my life that no matter where I'm at in the journey, uh, I try to look back and, and realize what are the things I want to take with me from these moments or these transitions. Mm -hmm. When So it sounds like you uh, at least remembered it and internalized it to a degree. Did you really receive it um, well at the time? Like, you know, or was that, or is that something that had to develop, you know, before you really like really heard what he was saying? You know, I, I think in the moment um, I probably processed it like a teenager, you know, is this mm -hmm. for me? Um, I do know that it, it took effect pretty pretty immediately, and some of those yeah. friends uh, I decided I had I had time better spent elsewhere, yeah. and um, and it did keep me um, even through high school. And and I was a typical teenager, man. I I did things that I probably uh, shouldn't have did, and, and and were part of things I probably shouldn't have been. But um, but those words rang so true, and um, and even later in life, now being a father myself. Um, you know, I, I tell my girls all the time, they play, they play a lot of athletics. They're both very involved with their softball teams. Um, my oldest plays volleyball and basketball as well. Uh, and, and I tell them and I, I tell the girls that I coach this, um, there's only two things that we can control when we step on a field, and it's our attitude and our effort. Um, mm. You know, at the end of the day, um, talent will only take you so far. Um, but your attitude and effort are everything. And, and that's what that speech was about. It was about opportunity, but it was about my attitude and my effort in that given moment. And um, and I've tried to let that carry over uh, wherever I go, Michael, wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever I take part in. Um, I try to give it my best effort and, and I try to do it with the best attitude. Uh, and even in the situations in life that have turned sour on me, um, really, after I get away from them and process them, I'm able to take away something from it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I'm really thankful that that years and years ago, uh, as a as a 12 year old boy, that my dad decided to have that type of speech with me um, because mm -hmm. it really did impact my life. At what point did you did you want to be or realize, I guess, or that you wanted to be a dad? 
You know, um, it's odd. My oldest um, came along at a time in life um, that I would have said I wasn't ready for a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, she was um, not planned, um, um, though I was married at the time. She just, um, uh, not an accident, but a blessing. Um, and so um, she's our little miracle. And um, I had been around youth uh, and, and middle school age kids uh, quite a bit in ministry. Uh, but when it came to infants and babies, um, I had little to no experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we found out that we were about to have Savannah, uh, the very first thing I did was take a nap. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I just had to I just had to step back for a moment, uh, clear my mind and uh, and then come back to it. Uh, and I realized at that moment that um, that I was ready for it, you know, and it mm-hmm. wasn't coming uh, at the time that I necessarily would have planned. Uh, but I knew I was ready for it. And, and part of what made me knew that I, or know that I was ready for it um, was, you, you know, when you stop to think about uh, the process of having a child um, and, and, and it happens in different ways for different folks, um, it's not so much, are you ready? Um, and it's not even so much, are you prepared? Um, it's really about how you receive. And um, for me, um, I was ready to receive. You know, I was ready um, to, to begin the process. I was ready to begin the journey. Once I got over, um, if you will, the shock value of it, um, I realized that I was ready for this. Mm. And um, it's, it's such an extension of yourself. I mean, that's what children are. They're such an extension of yourself. They, they're part mother, part father. Um, they're such an extension of yourself. And I was ready to see that extension of myself. Mm. And, and so though I had so very little um, experience with, with infants, um, I took to it very quickly. And, um, and honestly, I've never looked back and I've, I don't know if I've experienced too many greater joys in life, uh, than what my two little girls have brought me, you, you know, really, Michael, the other thing is I had good people in my life at the time, um, uh, to kind of help me out with that. And, um, you know how it is, as you prepare, uh, to get married, man, you, you get some really good advice and then unfortunately you get some really poor advice. Yeah. Um, this isn't the and, podcast to talk about that, but I've got some, <laughs> yes, you know, I've got some it's, stuff. It's kind of the thing. Kind of the same thing when you go to have a kid, man. Uh, everybody wants to remind you, oh, my gosh, you're never going to sleep and all these other things. Well, you know, mm-hmm. um, when you're up at 3 a.m. and your daughter um, has just been fed and she's got that little uh, half grin going on and she's staring into your eye- eyes, man, you you wouldn't want to be asleep at that moment. Mm. You know, you wouldn't want to mm. be asleep at that moment. And so um, I was thankful that I had some good men in my life uh, that told me the good side uh, of those things. And so um, – you know, the diapers and, and, and the 3 a.m. feedings and uh, uh, all the things that come along with it. Um, you know, if that's all you choose to focus on, that's all it'll be. Mm. Uh, um, and, but for me, um, I chose to focus on all the other things that it could be. Uh, and because of that, you know, my, my girls have had me wrapped around their fingers uh, since day one. And again, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for the world, man. Right. What's been the toughest part about being a father. So you, you saw all that your dad did for you all. Mm-hmm. And you saw the kind of sacrifices that he had to make, um, uh, probably career wise and so forth. You still there? Lost him. One second. Hey guys, thanks so much for tracking with us on the share the story, uh, podcast. This of course is chapter nine. And in the midst of it, we ran into a couple of difficulties as far as recording, Uh, We were doing a video call and recording that call, and in the midst of that, uh, we lost the signal and dropped him and all that other stuff. So uh, we picked it back up, uh, right back where we left off, 
and what we did this time around is we recorded the phone call so that's the reason why you're gonna hear a little bit of a change in the audio uh, of, of the way that it's recorded it sounds a little bit different so just to give you some kind of uh, behind baseball and, and why we did what we did and why it sounds the way that it sounds uh, still sounded great and turned out great but there is a little bit of a difference and I wanted you to be aware of that of course this is great as a time as any to tell you about uh, my buddy Greg's company. He's been on the podcast before, Anchor in a Small Town. Go back and listen to it if you haven't. Uh, great podcast. Uh, his company, Anchor Coffee Co., based out of Wilkesboro, North Carolina. No need to go to the store and pick up coffee anymore when you can just go to anchorcoffeeco.com and subscribe uh, and get it delivered right to your door. So you can sign up for subscriptions through the website at anchorcoffeeco.com. And I'm sure he would love to see you if you're ever driving through Wilkesboro, North Carolina at his shop right there in the uh, heart of Wilkesboro. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll get right back into it right here, right now. And uh, thanks so much for tracking with us. Hello. Hey, hey, you there? Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, sorry about that, man. That's never happened to me before, but uh, we can just pick up from here. Okay. Cool. So I think where I was was uh, I think I was asking um, since becoming a dad, um, what have you experienced as uh, probably the uh, toughest part of being a dad? You know, I, I think the toughest part. Um, there's times that there's things that you just can't control for your children. You know, you want them to always have the best experience um, and. Um, sometimes that's out of your control. Sometimes uh, other kids say hurtful things. Um, sometimes they don't finish in first place uh, or win the award or whatever. Um, that's the challenging part of parenting is just letting your kid grow up, you know, letting go of their hand, uh, knowing that the next step might result in their scraping their knee or bumping their head. Um, I, um, I've always been big about letting my, cheer, my children um, finish things out and uh and experience things whether it be um you know kind of kind of a high or kind of a low um and so i think that the greatest challenging in parenting is just realizing you can't control everything because uh, you want to you want to so bad you always want to see the smile on the face you always want to see um, the gleam in their eye and uh, that just doesn't always happen you know have they uh, have they started something that they just kind of you could tell maybe or or they just wasn't feeling it or whatever and and but that kind of had to be reinforced oh absolutely yeah both of my girls uh danced for a couple of years mm. and it was very evident uh, part <laughs> way through both of them even at, at, at different time frames um that dance was not going to be their thing right right and uh um and um we made them finish it out you know and uh um, they did finish the, the, the end of their dance years, um, and then both of them never danced again. And so uh, um, that's the first example that comes to my mind. I remember, well, I mean, just knowing just knowing you and and knowing Amanda, like I, I have a hard time seeing that, <laughs> seeing and, and knowing and knowing kind of like, you know, especially Savannah, knowing them now, you know, like I have a really hard time seeing that have been, you know, really the was that something that they expressed an interest in or you just was like, Hey, we'll just try it. Um, no, they, they expressed interest in it. And, uh, Savannah did it. Um, you know, a couple of different versions of dance. Mm. Um, she did the, the little mountaineers, which is kind of the cheerleading dance. She did the hip hop thing for a little bit. Um, Larson tried, you know, some tap and some ballet. Um, and they both just got to a point that it wasn't their thing. Um, and, 
Um, on the other hand, um, you know, both of them have really taken to athletics, and that has kind of been their thing. And, uh, you know, much the same as before, there's been challenging points where um, they wanted to quit, um, you know, during the course of a season or uh, even sometimes during the course of a game. You know, you get tired, you get worn out, you get frustrated or whatever. Um, but finishing is so uh, such a foundational portion of all who, uh, of each of us of who we are. Um, and, you know, if, if you let them quit at an early age, um, it just sets a standard that could really follow them through life. And so we've never allowed them to do that. How how are you able to tell between, you know, them wanting to quit because it's not their thing or them wanting to quit because it was hard? Because cause softball is their thing now. And you're saying that at some point in time they wanted to, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's... Uh, um, you know, with dance, it was a sustained attitude towards it. Um, it wasn't just um, a couple of practices or one show. Um, it just became something that was um, uh, very tedious for them. Uh, and so making them finish it out after they started, um, in dance at least to me, was key uh, because they signed up for an entire season of it. Mm-hmm. Um, with the athletics things, it's been more mo- momentary, game by game. Uh, or maybe a, a tough practice or something like that. Um, but it's never become tedious. It's never been, become something that follows them practice to practice the game to game. Um, mm. And so that sustained attitude during dance has been different than it's been during their uh, their athletic careers. Was that something that your dad kind of helped to instill into you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. My, uh, uh, whatever we started growing up, we finished. Uh, that could be uh, mowing the grass or, or painting a building. Um, and not only do we finish, my dad, um, and I'm still this way to, to the day, um, when we got done with something, we cleaned up. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were working uh, in the yard when you were finished, the tools didn't just go back in the shed. They got put back in the right place in the shed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so my father was tremendous at that. He, he never um, really did start anything that he didn't finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's definitely carried over to me in my life and, and, you know, even the way that I handle my own children. Well, how did you get into coaching? Because now you're you're moving from just being, you know, um, from just being a uh, a dad, but being in certain ways and in, in some some levels, you know, a father figure to other, you know. So you went from having two girls to having what fifteen plus. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, absolutely. You know, Michael. I've always enjoyed athletic sports. Was a big part of my life growing right. up. Um, I've probably spent too many hours watching sports if we get down to it. Um, and so, um, understanding the game, um, was easy for me. And so when my girls began to play, um, I did the typical parent thing and promised myself I'd never coach. Mm. Um, and, uh, Savannah, uh, was out of practice and, and the guy that was coaching, um, was, was doing a good job. He just didn't have anybody else to help him. Mm. And, uh, you know, one on, on 10 is, is a lot to contend with. Right, and, right. uh, uh, me being the guy that I am, I offered to uh, to kind of jump in and help out. Um, yeah. And then what, really what kickstarted it from, uh, from there was he couldn't be there one practice. And so I ran a practice, and I thought, man, this is fun. And um, and so I started just, just helping this guy out. Uh, and by season's end, uh, I was kind of doing it myself. Yeah. And um, so from there, I really enjoyed it. And I also enjoyed the organizer role. I like uh, uh, I like this is the first time that um, – that I have uh, organized an 8U travel softball team in our county. Um, and so I enjoy the coaching aspect, but I enjoy pulling all the 
the components of a team together, both yeah. a, a logo and a uniform, uh, a schedule, um, practices, assistant coaches, those kind of things. Um, it's a lot of fun to me. And, and it's it really, um, in all honesty, it's, it's quite relaxing too. It's a great way to get exercise. Um, it's really fun watching a girl grow into a game, whatever talent level they bring to the field. Um, I really believe um, if they take part in my system, they're going to get better. Mm. And uh, and so it's a lot of fun to watch a girl grow into the game. And it's even more fun uh, when the things that they do in practice um, became ev- become evident in the game. And, and when you see a kid learn how to throw, when you see a kid learn how to field, when you see a kid uh, learn how to hit or shoot a basketball or any of those things, and there's that first moment that they put it to practice in a game and it works, uh, man, that's a feeling that you can't get anywhere else. Mm. Um, and so it really started very small for me, just um, signing Savannah up, uh, taking her to something, uh, offering to help out a little bit, uh, and then it just kind of grew on me. Uh, and now it's um, it's a great part of our lives. Um, we, we probably spend this time of the year, um, you know, four of seven nights a week at a ball field. Um, and nobody in our family would trade it. It's not a push thing. I'm not yeah. – um, living vicariously through my kids or anything like that. It's a fun family activity for us, and we mm. build great friendships uh, out of it. Um, the families um, all get very close, especially when you start traveling on Saturdays together. Um, it, it's become a great family activity for us. And so um, it started small and is growing into something that's really become a, a part of who we are. You mentioned the system. Uh, what, what's the system? The sure. system that you kind of employ. Um, well, number one, um, I go back to something I said earlier in the podcast, and that is attitude and effort. Um, you know, I believe um, if a girl comes to practice and gives me the best of both of those things, she's going to get better. Mm. Um, Softball-wise, part of the system is um, the absolute foundation of the game is, is throwing and catching. And so we have a series of, of drills that we do uh, practice in and practice out. And they're repetitious. Uh, softball and baseball is a repetitious sport. And so um, sometimes it gets a little bit of, of a grind for the girls. Um, and so we try to get creative with that. Um, sometimes we make uh, the building drills themselves competitive. Um, sometimes we add a lot of motion to the drills. Um, and same thing with hitting. Uh, so much of hitting uh, is your balance and, and how you shift your weight. Um, it's far more than keep your eye on the ball, which is a saying that you hear uh, quite a lot about around the ball field. Right. Um, but hitting is instilling confidence. Mm. And, um, you know, the best hitters in the world, whether it be baseball or softball, um, when they're in the right frame of mind, uh, that's when they do their best hitting. And so we always start with building a kid with confidence, Mike. We, uh, uh, and that starts with, with the very basics of the game. You know, how do you hold a ball when you throw it? How do you actually throw a ball? How do you keep your, your glove in position? Uh, what it looks like to field a ground ball, the, the components of that, where you keep your glove, uh, where you position your feet, um, what you do with your eyes in that moment. And so we always start very foundational um, because the foundation of the game is what builds the confidence. Uh, and then as they get older, we start talking about having the right um, mental aptitude. Um, you know, how do you handle the hard moments in a game? Sometimes a referee or umpire, they blow a call. You know, sometimes there's a ball that you should get to and you just don't. You know, how do we help, help uh, excuse me, how do we um, handle those moments uh, of adversity? Um, and so, you know, when you think about building a kid in a game, uh, uh, you start with the foundation, uh, you build the confidence, and then you build their mentality towards the game. Uh, and finally, um, from there, it's really the kid, Mike. Um, you, you've got to have a passion for what you're doing. Uh, I tell my girls all the time, uh, a coach years ago uh, told me this little thing uh, called pop. 
and top stands for um, number one you got to have the T which is talent uh, and number two you got to have the O which is opportunity um, that's what we as coaches give these kids we give you the opportunity to come practice and then we give you, give you the opportunity to go participate in the game uh, but the final portion of top is the passion uh, and that's up to the player themselves and to me I find that girls um, who are passionate about the game uh, who have the right foundation uh, who have good confidence uh, and then have the right mental aptitude, uh, man, they wind up becoming stars on the field or on the court. Um, and so w- when I say, um, you know, the things that I say, um, I try to practice them as a coach too. Um, you know, I try to make sure that I'm self-educating myself uh, and I come to the field with the right attitude uh, and I keep that right attitude even in the tough situations. Because yeah. um, it's important for the girls to see it showed in front of them uh, as, it is, as much as it is to be, be taught by it. How'd you develop that? Like, how did you develop that system, that that philosophy in the fact that, like, because at no point did you did you really talk about uh, like a winning atmosphere or anything like that? Um, But but how did you develop the attitude and effort first? Then we'll build to this. And then inside of that, you'll have the components of the actual how to play the game and how to and how to properly um, how to properly be a technician of the game, and then still at the end rounding it off with uh, with mental uh, aptitude and, and confidence and things like that, and, and almost uh, cyclical going back to where you started. Um, so how did you develop that as opposed to, I don't know, maybe just drilling down on being the best team technically that you could? Sure. Um, you know, a lot of that, Michael, comes from um, my time spent working in the athletics department at ASU. Yeah. Um, I was really fortunate uh, to be around some good coaches. Um, Coach Jerry Moore, uh, of course, uh, a three-time national champion, uh, but guys like Coach Houston Fancher, uh, who was our longtime men's basketball coach, uh, Coach Chris Pollard, uh, who was our longtime baseball coach. Um, man, getting to be around these guys' practices, watching their pre- and post-game conversations at times, um, it helped me to learn and develop a lot of that stuff. And at the time, you know, I'm just doing marketing and advertising. I'm trying to promote their teams. Right. Uh, I'm trying to produce an environment that is contagious to winning for them. Uh, and I'm listening to this stuff because I'm a sports fan. You know, I've, I've grown up uh, playing sports and watching sports and loving it. And all of a sudden, I'm granted the opportunity to work uh, with these great minds in their respective sports. Uh, and so I was kind of there soaking it up like a sponge, never dreaming that I would ever have the opportunity to implement it. Um, I just happened to be there. I had to be there for yeah. work, you know. And, um, and seeing these men and how they modeled athletes. Um, and how they took young men uh, and, and molded them. Um, it gave me some great tools when it came time to coaching. Yeah. Uh, and a few of those names, uh, to be honest with you, Michael, even though I'm coaching low-level recreation and low-level travel sports, um, some of those names I've called back upon and asked questions. Mm. Uh, and so I've been real fortunate that, that a part, extended portion of my life, uh, I got to work in the collegiate level of athletics. Uh, and it gave me some great knowledge to work upon. Um, and some of it is just stuff that I believe in in life. You know, um, when I go to work, um, the very truth of it is, uh, the days that I'm most productive at work is when I bring my best attitude and effort. Um, and so for me, uh, as a person, I try to carry that to work. It's also things that I've commanded of my own employees uh, over the years in various business and leadership right. positions. Yeah. Um, but it really all began with a lot of the things that I learned in athletics, um, and, and they translated over to the kids that I coach. So fast forward, and you are... Because the coaching thing is not your day job, right? Um, Correct. Your day job is you work for 
win the Western Youth Network, right? Correct. What do you What do you do with them? Uh, I'm the director of development, so I'm a fundraiser. Okay. Do you get to deal with because and and I guess for a little bit of backstory, when works with a lot of um, with a lot of uh, underprivileged right youth and things like that in the high country area. Um, they also do Correct. a lot of uh, a lot of advocacy for uh, I know at least what um, a friend of both of ours, Holly Story does or Holly Wilcox rather um, does with um, uh, with uh, um, underage drinking advocacy or things like that. Not necessarily advocacy, but you know, against it and things like that. So, um, uh, in in the midst of all of that, do you get to do you get to uh, work with a lot of the youth that that you all service as well? Um, I don't work as much as those who work in our programs with the youth. Um, you right. know, we have an after school component, a mentoring component, the prevention uh, uh, component that you mentioned earlier, and a summer uh, programming component. And so, um, my main interaction with the youth is because they're at the facility. Uh, and because I like kids, I, I find myself intertwined at times. Right, yeah. I also have a, a mentee of my own. Um, and so I don't work as much as some of those in the programming side, uh, though I do get to observe a lot. Uh, my main interaction uh, is the building of relationships with uh, community partners, donors, um, corporate groups, and things uh, that help fund the initiatives that we have at the Western Youth Network. Yeah. Now, when you, because you just said that you have a mentee, so now you're talking about, your two daughters, um, you're talking about um, at least eight or nine others um, on your travel team that you're working with. And now you've got um, a mentee as well, uh, which isn't to include the countless number of people that you've mentored both personally and professionally, uh, myself being being a part of that fold. Um, how, why, first, I guess, is the question, why, why do it? Why, why, why continue to, to add so much more to your plate that pours so much out of you? You know what I mean? Cause it's one thing to add things to your plate that kind of just, you know, is one thing to add a base going to see the Hickory Crawdads, which are right around the corner, I guess, uh, fairly from you all, uh, to get in, to get your baseball fix in, and you go, you know, you go there with the family and things like that. But it's another thing to, to step out and say, I'm going to take on this role with developing not just the uh, the athleticism, but the the character of a, of a group of, of young girls. So why why add, you know, even more? What's the motivation for you there? You know, Michael, number one, um, Man, I've had some great people in my life that's took it, taken the time to invest in me. Yeah. Um, and as I've gotten older, it's meant so much to me. Um, for me personally, you know, my faith fuels so much of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I read um, the Bible, when I when I read uh, especially the Gospels in the New Testament, um, there's such a redemptive power in what Christ did. You know, no, none of us are too far gone uh, to be found by God, uh, but. Secondly, I find such empowerment uh, in, in reading the Word of God, uh, and it inspires me not only to do better as a person, uh, but to help others uh, achieve the things that they want to achieve. Right. Um, I think at the end of the day, for me personally, Mike, um, there's no no greater joy than seeing somebody else succeed. Mm. Uh, and if I can play even a small role in that, um, man, that's, that's worth more than anything I could gain personally and materially. Um, you know, I look back over the years— 
uh, and I think about the times uh, in my personal life where I've struggled. Um, and almost every one of those moments, uh, I can find somebody in my life that took it upon themselves to help me out of that moment. Mm. And, and there's a great psalm. Um, it's Psalm 40, and it, it's quoted quite a bit. But um, that psalm says that he brought me up out of, the, out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my steps. Um, he has put a new song in my mouth. Uh, praise to our God. Many will see it and will trust in the Lord. And, and when I read those three verses, Mike, there's an action plan there. You know, the action plan is somebody, myself, anybody, is stuck. Uh, they're in this pit. They're in this rut. They're in this miry clay, however you want to lay it out. This set of scripture says the first thing that God does is reaches out and pulls you out. You know, that's security. When, mm. you're, when you're in a place in life uh, that you're struggling and somebody uh, pulls you up and helps you out of that, that's the first thing you get is I'm no longer stuck. I'm no longer bound. Uh, I'm now secure. The second thing that that scripture says is it sets my feet upon a rock. You know, that that's solid. That's foundational. Now you've got something that you can stand upon. Now you're not stuck anymore. You know, and then it says it establishes my steps. That means it gets me going in the right direction. You know, now, now, now I've got you going in the right direction. Now you're no longer stuck. Now you're on solid ground. Now we got you pointing in the right direction. And then it talks about the new song in your heart. And then that those who hear it will trust in the Lord. You know, so you go from being stuck in this miry clay, in this pit, uh, to, to the security of being pulled out of the pit, uh, to the foundational thing of being put on a solid rock, uh, to then being pointed in the right direction or your, your steps established. And then all of a sudden, out of that becomes a good word from you, a good word on your mouth. Somebody else hears it, and now they trust in the Lord. That's a great action plan for any of us in life. Anytime mm. we encounter somebody, that maybe needs a little help, a little push in life. That's we're able to provide that action plan for them. You know, I, I can't always pay everybody's way. Um, I don't always have the right thing to say. Uh, but if you're stuck, I can reach out and give you a hand. It may be a moment of my time. It may be a dollar out of my wallet. Uh, it may be an encouraging phrase or word. But I can do something to help pull you out of the moment you're in. Yeah. Uh, and if I can do that. Typically, I can find, if I look around hard enough, I can find some place for you to set your feet on a solid foundation. And if that, if that occurs, then I do feel like I got enough knowledge in life. Or if not, I can find somebody who does that can help point you in the right direction. And now if you're in the right direction and you're no longer stuck in that pit, so to speak, now all of a sudden you got a different mindset. you got a different thought pattern. And now that different thought pattern takes over, and the words out of your mouth will change, I guarantee it. And if they change, then hopefully somebody else sees that. And if that person then repeats the action steps or the action plan that I've repeated, man, the world gets to be a, a lot better place real fast. Um, and it's not that I've been without struggle in my own life, Michael. And a lot of times, my struggle has been my own cause, to yeah. be real honest. Um, and those times in life um, that I've been in, in my deepest pit, so to speak, again, that I can almost always find somebody that's come along and help take action. And so I take the first three board, uh, verses of the 40th Psalm very seriously uh, because they become an action plan for my personal life uh, and they become an action plan for the people I invest in life. Yeah. Have you seen that start to rub off on on your on Savannah and Larson, your girls? You oh, know, in certain ways? You know, I, you know, Savannah's got to the age um, – that she plays a lot of sports outside of Watauga County. Mm. Um, she plays on a really successful club volleyball team. 
Um, she plays with a great softball organization out of Hudson, North Carolina. Uh, and I've watched as she's had to be um, in kind of ever-changing conditions with, with teammates and playing scenarios. Uh, and I love the fact that she's always the first kid to encourage. Uh, she's always the first kid to uh, congratulate. Uh, she's always the kid that wants to bring somebody new home from the team. Uh, and at times, she's been the kid willing to give up her spot to see somebody else succeed. Um, and she carries those values into teams. Um, and Larson's the kid, um, even at a young age, at eight, when somebody can't be at a practice or a game, she wants to know why. Mm-hmm. Um, and even last last tournament, she came to me and said, um, Dad, so-and-so struggling a little bit. Do you think it would help if she played a little bit more? If so, I'll sit, I'll, I'll sit on the bench. Wow, that's um, awesome. And so, you know, I'm really thankful. You know, my athletics are great, uh, and, and I hope my girls play ball for a long time. Um, but at the end of the day, um, there's some things in life they're going to carry long past the field or the court. Uh, and um, those things are the things that I try the hardest to instill in them. We work a lot. Uh, on our game, uh, we do, uh, but we work a lot about talking about aspects of the game. What What are the things that we can control? Um, how do we encourage people? Uh, how do we handle adversity? Uh, how do we fire up our teammates? Uh, how do we handle negative parents, you know, uh, or negative teammates, or, or um, tough tough moments with the officials? Uh, because later on in life, um, and you know this just be, from being around, uh, not all your coworkers are easy to deal with. Oh, not yeah. all your family is easy to deal with at times, you know. Yeah. And so those kind of things that I can install in my children will take them far long, uh, far past uh, their playing time or a field or a court. Uh, and so I absolutely see it rubbing off, um, um, even at an early age, which really excites me. You know, I want my uh, my girls to be very confident women. Um, and I think they get to be that way when they got a father um, that loves them and, and teaches them and instills these things in them. Yeah. Now, what would you say has been in, and maybe it's, you know, some of those moments, because I would be, I, I know I certainly would be proud myself if that was what, you know, came out of my kids' mouths, you know, wanting to be more concerned about other people than themselves. But what would you say would be some of the proudest moments that you have had, one of the proudest moments you've had as a dad to this point? Sure. Um, You know, I think a really great moment for me was um, this past basketball season for Savannah, uh, a young lady that she had um, played softball with in previous years. Um, They had met up on the basketball court um, now playing for different schools. And, um, you know, Savannah was fortunate enough to come out victorious in this game. Uh, and had a good game herself. Uh, and the young lady on the other team had struggled a little bit. And um, later on that evening, um, the young lady had posted something uh, on a social media site uh, about how she struggled. And um, Savannah jumped on there uh, very quickly uh, to encourage her as a player and as a friend. And um, she went public with that. It wasn't a let me catch you when the door closes thing. Yeah. Uh, she went public with that. Um, and that really excited me, Michael, because we, we don't have a lot of people in our county, in our city. Um, yeah. The girls who play athletics now, they're very likely to play them together the rest of their lives. Yeah. They may be on different teams at the moment, but as they funnel up to a middle school and a high school program, they're going to wind up being teammates later. Uh, and if they build so much adversity um, through these early years, it's going to be really hard for them to be great teammates later on. Uh, so that was a that was a proud dead moment. That that was a moment that that I really cherish. Yeah. Um, and you know, my youngest um, has just got into uh, her athletic career, just playing some basketball and some softball. And um, I think my favorite thing uh, that I've seen at Larson thus far is um, always being the kid that has a smile 
and it's infectious and it's contagious. And um, I love that. I love seeing her have fun at the game. Um, Because, again, um, you know, the the statistical likelihood uh, of kids playing past high school is really small in any sport. Um, And so if they're not enjoying it now and they're not good teammates now and they're not good friends now, um, it takes the game aspect out of the game. Uh, And they're going to have the rest of their lives to work and contend with things. Uh, Right now, it still should be the joyous thing that they do during the week. Yeah. Yeah, and generally when I when I'm closing out a podcast, I'll, I'll ask what you hope for um, in the future. And in this case, I would I would ask, you know, what what it would would it be that you hope for uh, for your girls in the future? But um, you've hit on that so much. I would almost say, you know, just you know, I don't know. I mean, what what do you what do you hope for if you if you could sum it all up? Um, for, for them and for, for your family. And then, you know, just in, cause you, and cause not only do, are you a family man, you have, you know, you have what you're doing with, um, with when, um, and, uh, all the, 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 the youth that you mentor, as well as, um, the, you know, the, the, uh, young adults that you, that you continue to mentor and things like that. Um, uh, but, you know, you also have your all your side things because I think at 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 its core you're 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 an entrepreneur and and you've got you've always got something going on. Um, you know, so what is it that you that you uh, hope for and, and are looking for? I guess to sum it up. Sure. Um, you know, I want my girls to to have um, more extensive opportunities. You know, I think um, one of the very saddening things for me to, me getting into female athletics has been the lack of opportunities that my girls have. Mm. Um, and, and there's not always uh, the field or the gym space because uh, there tends to be more um, males that, that trend towards athletics than females. Um, and so athletically, um, I hope as they continue to get older, they get increased opportunities. Um, as women, um, I want them to be strong, confident women. You know, I want them um, to never think less of them of themselves. Um, I want them to know um, beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, not only that God loves them, but that their father uh, loves them. And um, I try every opportunity I, I have um, to encourage and to love and to explain to them. Um, you know, when they have a question and they come home from school, um, they know they can talk to me about anything. Um, and I think that's going to uh, hopefully propel them towards their future. Um, so in a nutshell, I want them to have extensive opportunities, uh, and I want them to be strong, confident women. Uh, and that's what I try to help them achieve every day. And what do you hope for yourself? Oh, man, myself. Um If you even have time to think about yourself these days. Um, One with opportunity for myself, with a chance to to meet young men like yourself, um, who I met as as a freshman at Appalachia, and I watched uh, have such a successful collegiate career. Uh, I watched you to grow into a man of God and a wonderful husband. Um, I hope to continue to have those kind of opportunities to instill in people. Uh, I hope um, to help make Watauga County a better place. Uh, I hope to see the youth of this area that I serve day in and day out uh, through my job. Um, I don't just ho- uh, hope to continue to serve them. Uh, I hope to eradicate some of the problems they face. Mm. Um, some of these generational uh, issues with poverty and things like that, uh, neglect and stuff, I hope to, to help eradicate those problems. Uh, and as a man and a husband and a father, uh, I hope to continue to grow in those roles, uh, to continue to surround myself with people that can help me do those things. 
so that I can be the best at that as I can. Because uh, at the end of the day, um, I can be a successful entrepreneur, uh, which I've been at times. Uh, I can be a successful fundraising agent at WIN, which I feel like I am right now. Uh, but if you fail at home uh, and you fail with your children, um, the rest doesn't seem like much gain. Mm, yeah. uh, so at the end of the day, I hope to continue to be a great husband and a great father. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Chapter 9 of Share the Story, Talent, Opportunity, and Passion uh, with my really great friend uh, and mentor in a lot of ways, Westbury. Uh, you guys have been awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I, when I was actually thinking back and listening back to the podcast, I was thinking about a radio host that I was listening to some months ago, and he was talking about how uh, who we are as people is so much more based off of DNA than it is anything else. Right. If you were born to parents who were screw ups, then you probably are going to resemble that same kind of a thing. Uh, if you were uh, born to parents who are criminals, chances are that's what you're going to be. And and that may be so in, in some ways. But I think that we are so much more than the sum of our DNA. I think in a lot of ways, just like we talked about in the podcast, it's very much so based off of talent, passion and opportunity. And if we can create opportunities for people who don't have them, we can foster and identify the talents that people have and even foster the passion of those who are coming up behind us. I think we could really see some amazing growth and some amazing things happen in people's lives. So thank you guys so much for tuning into the podcast. Uh, This, like I said, has been chapter nine of Share the Story. Uh, You guys are awesome. Feel free to leave uh, leave us a like or leave us a comment uh, in iTunes and uh, wherever you're listening. We'd love to hear your feedback and of course as always the backing track is done by my man jerry blackwell one of the lsmcs that you have never heard of so go check him out on soundcloud and give him a thumbs up as well you guys are amazing we'll catch you next time i've been michael baylor this has been share the story we've got some really cool stuff coming up for you uh in the future podcast so check it out and stay tuned thank you guys Don't make it, we'll keep trying again until we...